Hey there, before we get started, I just wanted to let you know about an upcoming CrossCut event that I think you might be interested in. On April 29th, Michael Barbaro, host of The Daily, that wildly popular podcast from the New York Times, will be keynote speaker at the Headliners Gala, the live in-person event that kicks off this year's CrossCut Ideas Festival in Seattle. The gala, in case you're wondering, benefits KCTS 9 and CrossCut. Learn more and get tickets at crosscut.com slash gala. This is CrossCut Reports. I'm Sarah Bernard. Today, we're talking about trees. Specifically, street trees. The ones that line the medians, roads, and sidewalks in the city of Seattle. Crosscut science and environment reporter Hannah Weinberger recently dug into just how complicated caring for this particular corner of the urban canopy really is. For one thing, even though they're technically on public land, maintaining these trees is usually not, it turns out, the city's responsibility. Yet their health is vital to the city's goals of increasing tree canopy, especially in areas that really need it. Trees not only beautify cities and create wildlife habitat, among other things, but they also help mitigate climate change, even as climate change makes it harder for them to thrive. So figuring out just where the buck stops with street trees could go a long way toward making Seattle greener, healthier, and more resilient. So Hannah, Seattle's nickname is the Emerald City like, I know that name must in some ways be referring to the environment surrounding the city, but I just feel like it's got to be referring to the trees in some way. So I I think of Seattle as a green place full of trees. Um, But you've reported that Seattle's most recent tree canopy assessment showed that the city is losing street tree canopy coverage more quickly than it's adding to it. And so I was wondering if you could tell me about that tree canopy assessment, um, what were some of the kind of biggest takeaways from that report? So, you know, in the Emerald City, we like to think of ourselves as being very forested, but um, we actually are slightly losing tree canopy year over year, even though we have for decades been trying to increase the amount of tree canopy we have here to at least about 30%. And right now we are running a couple percentage points under that. Um, But in the most recent tree canopy assessment that came out uh, earlier this year, and it looked at data through 2021, the City reported that we are losing tree canopy on pretty much all land use types. The canopy they offer Seattle has decreased from covering 28.6% of the city in 2016 to 28.1% in 2021, a loss of 255 acres. So everything from single family homes to the right of way, which includes the street and the right of way includes about 27% of the land area in the city, and it also holds about a quarter of all of our tree canopy. Um, So it's not the biggest percentage of where our trees are, but it is a sizable percentage. And it's oftentimes the trees that we're most aware of because they're right next to us as we're walking and biking and perhaps driving along the street. So they're the trees that most people get to interact with. And um, they also have extremely hard lives. They're living in these really tough conditions. And it is no surprise that they are not doing great, especially during climate change. So 
These are trees that are on the street. They're on sidewalks, medians, right-of-ways, you know, so they're on public land, right? Yeah, so these trees live on what's called the right-of-way or rights-of-way, which basically include the tree lawns or planting strips, depending on what part of the country you're from, and also, you know, boulevard medians and uh, what are called unimproved rights-of-way, which is a really jargony way of saying those vacant lots that might be overgrown with blackberry and whatnot at the end of your street. So it's everything that's not directly on private property that might be abutting all of these avenues that we use to get around. Which is just like, yeah, when you think about it, that's kind of a lot A lot of a city. or all these sort of interstitials, if you will. But so a big theme, you know, that you surfaced in your reporting is that all of these trees are on what's technically public land. So you would think this is essentially city property. And so you would think that, therefore, these trees would be city responsibility in terms of maintenance, let's say. But what you found was that's really not the case. Can you explain what's going on there? Can you explain that? So our municipal code basically outlines that homeowners or property owners whose properties abut these public spaces where trees live are responsible for the trees within them, the maintenance of them. And the way that our city manages these trees on public property is they are regulated by the Department of Transportation, which only claims uh, management responsibility for just under 40,000 of these trees because it said those are the ones that we have determined that we have planted. But if we have not planted these, we will still regulate these trees, but whomever lives closest to them has to keep them alive. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it is a real outsourcing of maintenance of a public good on a public property. You know, I'm not a homeowner, but this piece of information is, is totally new to me. I guess I just went around assuming that a piece of public land with a tree on it would be kind of public property and therefore city responsibility. I just kind of assume that um, as you went around reporting, is is that something that you feel like a lot of people knew or, or do you think that this was a surprise to others as well? So I'd been reporting on trees for a little bit. And I think what really attracted me to this story was exactly what you were outlining in that it is not intuitive. And a lot of people find themselves in situations where they don't realize they're responsible until there is a problem. Mm. You know, our city is increasingly occupied by people who rent, you know, including yourself and myself, um, and people who may be, you know, fortunate enough to buy a home wind up in situations like some of my sources where they are responsible and didn't anticipate being responsible for, you know, a number of dead or dying trees um, and have to figure out, okay, how how do I try to keep these trees alive? What are my resources? I don't really know. No one told me. Um, so, you know, there are, in the course of reporting, I have learned resources to help people figure out you know, are they responsible for a tree? But when you look at a tree on the street, you don't immediately know who planted it. So, like, am I responsible? I didn't plant it. Maybe I inherited it when I bought this property. But because the Department of Transportation doesn't claim responsibility for it, saying they didn't plant it by default, it is now my ward. And I am now a tree parent 
and now I have to figure out what to do. People might not realize that they are responsible for helping to tend to this public good as we have outlined our municipal code, or they might not realize how to do it well because tree care isn't intuitive. So I wanted to give people a little bit of background on the fact that this is a responsibility that so far we have decided to assign in this way. And then talk about, you know, if this is something that the city is saying is an adjacent homeowner's responsibility, what do they need to do? Are there resources? How easy is it for people to figure out how to do this care? Um, And what are the costs of not doing this care correctly? As well as, can everybody easily access the resources they need in an equitable way to do this care? Because not all homeowners in Seattle are working on six-figure salaries. You know, a lot of people bought their homes many decades ago um, and may be part of populations that have a harder time holding on to their property. Mm-hmm. Tree care, for example, can be very expensive. We report that some trees could cost just to water and maintain something like, you know, $4,000 in their first five years just to keep one tree alive, you know. And one of your sources told a story of someone being on the hook for replacing concrete from a sidewalk that was broken up by a tree's roots. And that was going to be $10,000. And that little anecdote, for example, was something that um, not only $10,000, not only these numbers being really huge, also just, again, kind of blew my mind in terms of um, that kind of a thing being a homeowner's responsibility as opposed to the city, you know? Right. Yeah, I think it's um, not intuitive just how expensive one tree can be. And these trees can take many years to provide what we call ecosystem services. So the reason we're all hot on getting more trees in Seattle is because they really solve a lot of problems that we are seeing in a climate changing world you know, with with one small leafy thing. Uh, so they help purify our air. They help shade our streets. And being the trees closest to the pavement, they have a really important role. Um, they help to you know, mitigate stormwater drainage problems. They sequester carbon. And these trees might seem expensive, you know, a couple thousand dollars over the course of a few years, They actually really help save a lot of costs that we would incur from all of these, you know, pollutive damages. And, you know, based on your reporting, I mean, why exactly is the city kind of putting this responsibility on the adjacent homeowner? Is it a resource issue? I mean, speaking of thousands of dollars per tree, I mean, is it just at the end of the day... The city and county, for example, are are just not able to spend the amount of money it would take to maintain every single tree that is there? Or why? (laughs) I guess why? So, you know, I had this question and I went to the Department of Natural Resources um, where the uh, manager of their community and urban forestry program, Ben Thompson, was willing to chat with me about, like, is is anybody handling street care in a way that works? Mm-hmm. And he was telling me that a lot of municipalities do have this arrangement. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not out of a, a, a sort of malicious, want to stick it to the homeowners feeling. It's more yeah. just like they do not have the resources to do this. Um, you know, the, the city has about nine or 10 people who are responsible for 
uh, the care and permitting around street trees within the Department of Transportation. And that's not the number of arborists you need to prune, uh, monitor, water 200,000-ish trees. You know, they they have identified at least about 176,000 trees, but the uh, city's lead arborist with the Department of Transportation expects that there might be 50,000 street trees they haven't documented. And just from looking at the online map that I only learned about <laughs> after doing this reporting um, <laughs> that shows the inventory and individual trees, you know, where they are, who owns them, et cetera, there were plenty of trees that I saw out on walks that weren't represented on this map, even though they were obviously in the tree lawn. So there are likely even more trees that uh, people are responsible for than we have documented as a city. Wow. So what happens if a homeowner really doesn't have the funds to pay for tree care, doesn't have the time and the resources? Does that person get in trouble in some way? I mean, do they get penalized or is it sort of a larger issue regarding overall tree canopy in the city that we're talking about as a result of this situation. So the arborists that I've spoken with who work with the city are really conscious about not wanting to be seen as the bad guy. Their Mm. goal is to help people live better with trees. Mm. So oftentimes when they see, um, you know, either what they think of as inappropriate pruning or a tree starting to uplift a sidewalk or grow into you know, a, a power line. One of the other ways that trees compete with street use, <laughs> you yeah. know, they're, they're growing up in the middle of all of these other pieces of infrastructure. They will try to go out to the homeowner and explain to them, like, here's here's what the problem is. You know, we can work with you, try to figure out a, a permitting situation to either prune this away. Um, and the permits are free. So an arborist with the city will help you figure out what the best path forward is before they, you know, sign off on what you need to do. But it can be very expensive. And there isn't, you know, a city fund to help people remove trees. There isn't a city fund, you know, to help people do major pruning. It's not dedicated to that. I have heard anecdotally that sometimes people have been able to get grants through organizations focused on people who are elderly who may be strapped for cash. But the city doesn't have anything dedicated to helping people with these major care issues. Um, So what they do have are programs and funds being set up to help people plant trees and care for trees well at the outset of their lives. Mm. Um, So not all of these trees are going to make it, but there is a program called Trees for Neighborhoods that's run through uh, Seattle Public Utilities that teaches people targeted in areas of the city that have low canopy, which also tend to be areas of the city where people have faced economic and racial injustices for a very long time. Um, It teaches them for free how to plant a tree, how to prune a tree, and it follows up with them every year about how their tree's doing, and they grade the tree and give them a, give the homeowner adjacent to the tree an idea of what the tree needs. And they try to offset some of those initial costs and help people care for a tree in a way that creates fewer expensive problems later. Mm-hmm. But it costs money to water a tree. <laughs> it costs money to prune a tree, especially if you go through a you know authorized tree care provider um, who has the the training necessary to do that care well. So it is a real issue that there aren't necessarily easily accessible ways to find funds to do this care. I'm not saying that there aren't those ways, but there isn't a clear first step. Our mayor recently released an executive order 
related to increasing tree canopy and improving the equity around who has access to tree canopy in their neighborhoods. Mm. And one of the things that uh, Mayor Harrell pointed out in his executive order was this line saying that he wanted to encourage public-private partnerships to figure out how to improve funding for street tree care. So we don't have anything in the works right now, but an avenue that the city is looking at or suggested that it's looking at is um, looking to private partners for assistance in perhaps caring for street trees, Mm. not just planting them. So that's something that I'm keeping my eye on. So in terms of this whole situation with street trees, Seattle is not alone in this. I mean, this is pretty common, right, for many cities. This is very common for many cities. And, you know, I saw some annual data on what the Department of Transportation was able to do with its pruning and watering, et cetera. And I think in 2022, it was able to prune like, you know, three to four thousand trees out of you know, are 176,000 documented trees, and it's responsible for almost 40,000 of those. So we are not currently in a situation where people have the resources or the personnel to be able to do that at the city level. And so I, in the course of doing this reporting, I also looked into, you know, how do other cities handle this? Are there other strategies people use to try to kind of relieve some of the burdens on homeowners or at least help them provide this care in a mutually sustainable way. Um, There are cities like the city of San Francisco where voters got together a couple years ago and decided that they wanted it to be the city's responsibility to take care of trees, period. And what Hmm. Proposition E does uh, for the Public Works Department, it gives us full control of all the trees uh, in our city's right-of-way. Which has been you know, a learning curve. The city realized that it could be financially responsible for them to take on the economies of scale that come with managing trees, Um, but they could definitely use more funding. I have learned from interviews with people who are responsible for trees there now. Um, Mm -hmm. And one of the promising strategies that I've heard from people who are social ecologists, people who work with community organizations that try to help people with some of this care, you know, like Dirt Corps in King Mm -hmm. County, um, is that if the city can't afford to do this care, Could it support community organizations that are training people how to do this care, especially people who, you know, have been facing more economic injustice? If you want to rely on people to do this care, how can you give them, you know, job skills and support and leadership capacity in parts of town where if you're telling them, hey, I want you to put in more trees, but we're going to regulate it, it's like, well, do we get to pick which trees? (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. do we have some sort of guarantee that we're not going to get gentrified out of our neighborhood? Mm -hmm. Are we going to be able to, you know, provide the care in a way that feels right for us? Mm -hmm. Um, So there's definitely people thinking about how to provide this care and what it would take to build trust with communities, with cities, to improve everybody's relationship with trees. What do you feel are some of your biggest takeaways from this reporting? Reporting out this story really got me thinking more about public goods and how we care for them and collective goals and how we create buy-in for those goals equitably. 
tree canopy is good for everybody. <laughs> you know, trees can provide ecosystem benefits well beyond the soil in which they're planted. But these goals are being made without necessarily giving everyone the clarity and the access to information that they need to help the city reach these goals. And there are lots of people in the city, working for the city even, who are trying to improve these relationships and give people the information they need to do this. There are lots of well-meaning arborists who just don't have enough time in the day to work with everyone. But increasing access to some of the information about how to care for trees, how to figure out if you're responsible for that tree nearby, whether there are community groups like Dirt Corps. Um, or the Duwamish Valley Youth Corps, who might be able to work with you and who have some really exceptional experiential knowledge about how to provide care for trees, maybe they'd be able to have your back. So just trying to close some of those information gaps while getting people to think about how does our city handle the maintenance sharing for public goods and whose responsibility really should it be to do that care. Thanks for listening to Crosscut Reports. This episode was reported by Hannah Weinberger and produced by me, Sarah Bernard. Production assistance this week from Seth Halloran. Our story editor and executive producer is Mark Baumgarten. You can subscribe to Crosscut Reports wherever you listen. And whatever platform you're listening on, please review us. We'd love to know what you think of the show. Also, if you'd like to support the work we do at Crosscut, whether it's our lineup of podcasts, the live events we host every month, or the in-depth reporting we deliver every day, go to crosscut.com slash membership. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to the on-demand programming of Seattle's PBS station, KCTS 9. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. That's also where you'll find a text version of the story we discussed today, and a sidebar with some tree care resources. Crosscut Reports is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Sarah Bernard. We'll be back soon with another episode.